You're listening to Coffin Cast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a new episode of Coffin Cast. I am your host, Kristen. You heard that right, a brand new episode. Your ears did not deceive you. It's been a while, it's been since like January, but we're, we're trucking along here and we're gonna do another episode. We meaning me, because I do it all by myself. I'm a loner, a rebel, you wouldn't understand. So either way, <laughs> um, it's a new episode. We're gonna be covering a new video game this week. Also, I haven't been the most consistent host of a podcast and releasing things because like I said it's been since January um but here we are we're, we're gonna do another episode and hopefully we'll get back into the swing of things I know I say that a lot I've had a lot of health and mental health things going on this year but I'm hopeful you know that we're on the tail end of it and I can get up the gumption to do this again on a regular basis so like I said we are going to follow a video game this week and I kind of want to let you in on the process of how this goes typically when I am reviewing either a movie or a video game or a TV show. Usually what I do is I either watch the movie once, play the game once, watch a TV show once, just for enjoyment's sake to see if I even do enjoy it so I can give you kind of an accurate first impression of what I thought about the game, movie, etc. Then I play or watch it again with a lot of like pauses in between so that way I can take notes of things I think are kind of funny or pivotal for the story that I want to share with you. The second time can get a little tedious because it's pausing constantly, then moving to the computer and writing down notes, then moving back and then playing again for maybe a minute or five minutes or an hour and then coming back and doing it again. So I'm kind of changing the process for this particular game. And it's newer than the stuff I usually cover. Most of it I've played before and just want to share it with you because I already like it. I love it. This time, like I said, it's a newer game. It's going to be a little different and it's the latest in the Life is Strange series. And it's something that's better experienced than talked about for a couple reasons. Typically your decisions will determine the story. So I may play one way and you may play it another and get a completely different story than I do, which is part of the fun of the game. Now, I've played both the first and second installments of Life is Strange, and I absolutely love them. The storytelling is really good. It grips you, it pulls you in. So with that, let's go ahead and talk about Life is Strange True Colors. Like I said, this is the latest in the line of Life is Strange, and this game was actually released a couple days ago, so it's very, very new to most people, including me. So let's go ahead and get started on Life is Strange True Colors. First, I would like to graze over the first two games just to give you an idea of what's happened thus far in this series. If you can't afford a $60 game right out of the gate, many of us can't. These two are a great place to start for significantly less. You can even play the first one on your phone. I also believe the first one is available on Game Pass for Xbox. I 
think the second is as well, or there might be a couple episodes of the second one on there, but don't quote me on that. Don't get mad if it's not there. The first one is a very teen-oriented game, and I thought when I started it, oh, I'm not going to like this. I'm going to be too old for this. The story begins with a girl who's gone missing. She's the girl who lights up every room she walks into, and she's missing without a trace, as girls who light up rooms typically do, if you've ever seen Dateline or any of the Discovery ID shows. Any girl who lights up a room has the potential to go missing without a trace, or worse. Around the same time, a girl named Max Caulfield returns to town. The town's called Arcadia Bay. It's kind of like this fake but typical Pacific Northwest town. And she's going to the prestigious Blackwell Academy to study photography. She's kind of an ordinary girl who discovers after witnessing somebody being murdered that she can rewind time and make things right. As the player, you're able to rewind time as well. So if you make a bad choice, you're like, oops, no, don't want to do that. Then you can press a button and rewind and make a different choice. It's kind of a lot of butterfly effect type shit. So she saves the murder victim, who just happens to be her best friend from childhood, Chloe. Chloe has become jaded and angry since the death of her father and the fact that her new best friend, Rachel, remember the light up the room girl, has gone missing. So the two of them try to decipher what happened to Rachel with Max's powers. And the story goes down a surprisingly dark and sometimes shocking rabbit hole. Uh, to call it a teen drama really undersells the story. It's very intense, very dark, and deals with some pretty heavy themes. The French developer Don't Nod put the game together in an episodic format. I think I'm saying that right. Um, it was published by Square Enix in 2015, and it had mostly favorable reviews and even got a standalone prequel game, Life is Strange, Before the Storm. I've only played a small portion of that, but it was fun to start, and I don't know if I just got sidetracked or what happened, but I intend to go back to it. The second Life is Strange installment follows two brothers, Sean and Daniel Diaz. The younger of the two causes a tragic accident where two people are accidentally killed, including their father, with these telekinetic powers that seemingly come out of nowhere. The two go on the run, knowing if they don't, they will be separated or worse. The game also got generally favorable reviews with critics, praising it as an accurate portrayal of brotherly love and devotion. I didn't finish that game either I uh, because I didn't buy the whole series. Like, they had, I think, three episodes that were available, and I played the three, but I didn't get the other ones because I couldn't afford them at the time. But I really enjoyed what I did play, and I do, again, intend to go back. So now let's get into the third installment, the one that we're covering today, and that is Life is Strange True Colors. This time, Don't Nod has decided to move on to other projects and is no longer handling the Life is Strange franchise. So Deck Nine, along with Square Enix, are handling things. Also, whereas the first two were episodic, again, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and released on a schedule, you know, you didn't get to play the game all at once, this one is fully available to play right out of the gate, but it is divided into chapters. So what I will be doing is releasing episodes chapter by chapter, so that way you get more episodes and I'm able to play it like you would. To be upfront with you, I am going into this with as little information as I possibly can, so it'll be a fun little journey that we'll, we'll go on together. Normally here, I would vaguely tell you about the story, my thoughts, before going into the spoiler review. 
since I haven't played it yet, I can tell you yet, as in when I'm recording this, I can tell you a little bit about the story and tell you where to fast forward so that way you can get my thoughts on the game at large so that way you're not spoiling or having anything spoiled for you. We're not there just yet. So the game follows Alex Chen who grew up in foster care and she reconnects with her biological brother Gabe who persuades her to move to Haven Springs, a very picturesque small Colorado town from Portland. When a tragic accident takes place, she must try to decipher what happened and keep it from happening again. Now, as with all Life is Strange games, Alex has a power. She can manipulate people's emotions. That sounds like a lot of my exes. Except that Alex uses this power for good to try to help people, comfort them, and to get information from them along the way. She's kind of a mind reader as well. Um, they don't really go into that in the um, explanation of the game, but she can read minds and understand why people are feeling the way they are, not just the emotion itself. And that, folks, is all I know. So let's stop dilly-dallying and get into the game. Remember, the next bit may and probably will contain spoilers, but check the info on this episode and it will tell you where to fast forward to to get my thoughts exactly on the game. So that way you can decide for yourself if you want to play. As we open the game, the graphics on just the opening itself are amazing and beautiful. And as you're starting to go through, um, you know, the brightness settings and things like that, the game actually gives you the option right out of the gate to set up the accessibility settings, which is really cool. Most games, you kind of have to hunt for it. But here, they let you know up front, here's what you can do to make this more accessible to you. So they have font style for people that need a larger font. Um, a longer choice timer for those that need a moment to read the choices. Jog controls and power controls I'm not too sure about, but uh, the color filter for the colorblind, brightness and volume warnings. Now, when I started, I did turn on the volume warning because I do sometimes have auditory issues with sudden loud noises. But since I've played it a bit and gotten some of the warnings for me, it's not too bad and I tend to just ignore them. But I can see how the noises might upset some people, might trigger them, what have you. So it's great that the developer actually put that in there and big thumbs up for that because too often, like I said, people have to avoid games because they're not sure what's going to happen or if they need to be prepared for something or if they can even play the game if they can't see the colors and what have you. So big thumbs up for that. One thing the Life is Strange stories rely heavily upon is your choices. Like I said in the beginning, the game I play may be different from the game that you would play. So I'm going to let you in on a little thing about me when I play video games. If there are choices involved, I always try to err on the side of caution and answer like in the most beneficial way I think that will help me make the best story of the game. I always play the good guy, like in Red Dead, I have to be the good guy. I can't rob people or kill people at random. And I'm not going to play this game that way. I'm going to play it as if I'm living it, what I would do if it were me. 
So it's probably going to be a shit show because I make awful decisions. Anybody that knows me knows I make terrible day-to-day decisions. So it'll probably end terribly for Alex, but we're, we're going to try it that way. And the warning tells you of these choices and warns you to choose carefully because that's not ominous at all. So the story begins with Alex speaking to her therapist at the group home she spent eight years in, in Portland, and it's apparent that she's now an adult and she's going to be leaving the home. They discuss her leaving to live with her brother Gabe in Haven Springs, Colorado. She hasn't seen her brother for eight years, but she did grow up with him. Um, Why she's in foster care and he isn't, well, he's an adult now, they're both becoming adults, but... They don't really go into why she was in foster care at the beginning. They don't really talk about it. They may later. They probably will later, but they don't just at the beginning of the game. The therapist asks her if she has any plans regarding work or school. And Alex informs her therapist that her brother said she could pick up shifts at the bar where he works. The therapist replies, so you'll be working with people. And Alex nods and the therapist asks, does your brother know about your issues? Alex seems a little offended by the question, and the therapist assures her she's only asking because she cares about Alex and her welfare. Alex replies, no, he doesn't know. Once I leave here, I'll be a normal girl in a normal town. And that begins the first chapter. So the chapter is called A-Side, and it begins with a bus ride. Alex is coming to Haven Springs, and if this place were real, I would so want to move there. It is the most beautiful setting I've ever seen on a game. Now with most games, you get a kind of tutorial about like how to move, how to move the camera. And this is the point. Once Alex gets off the bus, you kind of learn how to move. So she says that her brother Gabe would meet her across the bridge. So she starts crossing the bridge and she stops a moment and looks out at the town and is kind of overcome by the beauty of it. And you enter what the game refers to as a zen moment. It has beautiful music, various pictures around the town, kind of a montage of the flowers, the animals, the water. And you get to choose when it's over. So if you need a break and you just want to like listen to some music and chill out, you just press the button when you're done and then it's over. When you do decide to end it, you're snapped out of it by Gabe calling out to Alex. Here comes... Your first choice. So Gabe asks what the protocol for seeing your long lost sister after eight years is. So you can choose a handshake or a hug. And I'm a hugger. I chose hug. And it's here you kind of get a glimpse into Alex's powers. Her brother is surrounded by a blue aura. And then she hears him say in his inner voice, she's all grown up and I missed it. So I'm going to move away from the game for just a second and kind of talk about auras. In my younger days, I was heavily into metaphysical stuff like zodiac signs, tarot cards, auras, and things like that. So what does a blue aura mean? In terms of what it means in, I don't want to say real life because I don't know if they're real, but in general, it means spiritual, loyal, creative, and sensitive, moody, and kind. So we get the vibe that Gabe is a good guy, but auras are not the same in game as they are outside of the game. In the game, they have four primary auras. One of them I'm not going to get into because it comes into play in another chapter, but blue is for sad, surprise, red is for anger, also surprise, 
And purple is being afraid, which afraid is a mixture of sad and angry in real life. If you look at it, look at me being all deep. There are more auras, like I said, but for now, we're just going to go with those three because the other one comes into play in the next chapter. Now, bear with me a moment because I'm still trying to figure out how best to cover this. Any choice that I make might be different from the choice you make. And this game relies heavily on choices. I may choose something you wouldn't even think of choosing or, you know, whatever, and it might skew the story and change the story from from what I play to what you might play. So the best I can do is kind of just vaguely go over things, things that I know are going to happen no matter what. And that's even hard because I don't know. So bear with me. I'm going to do this as best I can. This is completely different from me. I don't want to go verbatim with this because, like I said, it's going to be different for you. First, we're given kind of a glimpse of what Haven Springs has to offer. The residents refer to it as just Haven, uh, but, you know, we'll do the same for now. So Haven is essentially this kind of hipster paradise. There's a pot dispensary. There's a record store. There's a store that has what's called Tibet gifts, and it's wind chimes and prayer flags and Buddhist statues and all that fun stuff. There's a Wilderness Outfitters, uh, Jed's Bar, which is the bar that Gabe works at. It's kind of a hole in the wall. Uh, what else is there? There is a diner that is being opened, an ice cream store. It's very cute, very touristy. Um, I, and like I said, I would live there if I could. At this point, I'd like to introduce you to some of the characters we meet along our way from the bridge to Gabe's apartment, which is above the Black Lantern, which is also the bar he works at. So very short commute. Good for Gabe. First, we meet Eleanor, who's a sweet middle-aged lady, opens her arms to Alex, gives her a big hug. She owns a flower shop. And then we meet her granddaughter, Riley, who is in her late teens, early 20s. She helps Eleanor out at the shop, but she has dreams of going away to a tech college. Gabe is helping her with the application and the interview process. She also mentions that she hasn't told her boyfriend, Mac, yet that she is planning to move away, but doesn't specify why she hasn't told him. You get the vibe that she is afraid to tell him. We don't meet him just yet. Gabe mentions that he has to buy some flowers for his girlfriend of three years, Charlotte, because she's mad at him. But it doesn't specify why. I think you can ask him, but I didn't do that because it's none of my business. We don't meet her just yet either. But when they leave the flower shop, Gabe stops in the pot dispensary where she works and has Alex wait outside. There's an important sign that I want to make sure you notice. There is a blast warning for that night. What that means is they're going to be basically dynamiting the mountain to get uranium out of it. The biggest company and the biggest employer of the town is called Typhon. It's a mining company. Essentially, they own the town, and like I said, they mine uranium from the mountain, send it off to power plants. And as she waits, we meet Ethan, Charlotte's son. He's a super sweet kid. And he and Alex become fast friends as they bond over a comic book called The Ninth Ward that they both really love. Ethan seems to really take a shining to Alex, and he's also very close to Gabe, who has taken on a fatherly role for him. He shows Alex the comic that he's been making, and is, Alex is suitably impressed with it. It's pretty good for a kid his age. 
He gives her a copy and then lets her in on a little secret, as long as she swears to tell no one. He is planning on exploring the abandoned mines and has a whole map of it and everything. This is a very bad idea. Foreshadowing. Um, But anyway, he runs off and Alex decides to head to the record store. She remembers when she was younger and Gabe would take her to the record store with him anytime he went and they would bond over it and he kind of solidified her love of music that way. As she walks around inside, she sees at the back of the record store, there's a radio station being run. There's a DJ working, kind of dancing around to the music, and her name is Steph. Steph holds up two records to the window for Alex to choose. Again, you make a choice. And then suddenly, Ryan appears and tells her that the shop is closed. Ryan is a rugged, handsome-type fellow holding the coolest CD in the place. A bird call CD, as one does. Alex pokes a little fun and asks if he works there, and like most rugged hot guys, no, he doesn't. He is actually a park ranger. But he was picking up said bird calls for funsies, I guess? I don't know. Once Alex introduces herself and tells him she is there to find a gift for her brother, he vows to help her out and tells her he had a record on hold that he hasn't paid for just yet. There's some searching for the hold list, and the two joke about what kind of music Gabe is into now. The funniest being acoustic banjo EDM. The dialogue between them is really cute. Like, there's there's some chemistry there, I think. It's very cute. And my favorite thing in the game so far is the dialogue. Both Alex's inner dialogue and her banter with the other characters. It's a very realistic. It's very authentic. And a lot of games get this wrong. But this one is... You know, this one thing is something that the game really excels at is making it real and making the characters real to you. After the record is bought, Steph suddenly storms out of the radio booth on the phone, clearly angry about something. And here's where we see the downside of Alex's power. As Steph draws closer and grows angrier tapping her foot, we see Alex becoming uncomfortable and tapping her foot as well. Ryan sees this and knows, you know, something is up. He moves to Steph and tells her he'll take care of the station while she does whatever she needs to do. Can't be that hard. It's just a playlist, right? Yeah, because that's easy. She instantly calms down and the day is saved by Ryan. Steph mentions what she is working on, a LARP tournament, live action role play, anyone, and Ethan and Gabe and she are going. And if there is a god in heaven... I hope they allow it to play out in the game. That would be amazing. I, I'm so hopeful that it does. You can explore the shop a bit more and end up before a record listening station. And you end up in another zen moment. Once you choose to leave that, Gabe finally shows back up and all is well with Charlotte again. Ryan and Gabe appear to be very close and Ryan warns him that Riley's aforementioned boyfriend, Mac, is looking for him. Gabe brushes it off, and he and Alex continue to the apartment. On the way, you meet Jed, who's Ryan's dad and Gabe's boss. And let me tell you, holy cow, Jed is even hotter than his son. He's like this middle-aged hipster and, like, beautiful white beard and in flannel. And I, I know just by my description, it's like, that's an old man. No. Look up Jed. If you're not going to play the game, you need to look up Jed. I'm sorry, but do it. He's also very 
super nice, very playful, and welcomes Alex and says her brother has been telling him all about her and, you know, he hasn't shut up about her coming to town. So you get the vibe again that Gabe is, like, really excited to have Alex there. And once again, it is mentioned that Mac is looking for Gabe and this time he has a bug up his ass. Great! Wonderful. Gabe again brushes it off and we meet up with Ethan again, who shows up out of nowhere. Ethan tells Gabe that his mom says that he has to hang out at the bar with him until she is off work. Ethan asks Gabe if he can go home instead because he's got some homework or something like that. Gabe says, sure, that's fine. And you have the choice here as Ethan walks off. You have the choice to either rat him out about the mind plans or keep his secret. Being a mother, <laughs> I totally ratted that kid out. I don't think so. You don't go to a mine, kid. What's wrong with you? That That's not okay. So Gabe thanks Alex for telling him the truth and onward to the apartment. <laughs> when they get up there, Alex is in absolute awe of the place. It's really neat. It's very open. It's a studio apartment, but it's got, you know, a big TV and and a video game, and like a stand-up arcade game, and a foosball table, and she's never seen something that looks so cool. She thought that when he described his apartment, it would be kind of cozy and tight, but it's, it's wonderful. And Gabe surprises her and says, well, it's all yours because I stay with Charlotte, so this place belongs to you. And She's overcome, you know, with emotion because she's never had anything to herself. She's lived in a group home. So this is the first time that she has something that's actually hers. And it's at this point that she gives him the record, which is actually a Kings of Leon record. And he's equally touched and puts it on the turntable right away. Some dorky dancing ensues. And then Gabe starts to play some really dorky air drums really poorly, much to Alex's feigned horror. He then kicks a broom towards her, and again, there is a choice. Beg him to stop or join in on air guitar. Guess what I chose. Air guitar, duh. And as the song draws to an end, there is a banging on the door. Gabe turns off the record and goes to answer it, and we finally meet the infamous Mac. Mac barges in and demands to know if Gabe is quote-unquote fucking Riley, because they are spending so much time together behind his back. Gabe denies it, but doesn't tell him the real reason they are meeting up so as not to betray Riley's trust. Remember, they're meeting up so he can help her apply to colleges and whatnot and possibly get away from Mac. So Mac begins to beat the ever-loving shit out of Gabe to the point where Gabe is on the floor and he's being kicked. His aura this whole time has been bright red and we see Alex begin to freak out like she did at the record store. Now we see both her power and her curse in action. As Mac yells at Gabe to stay the fuck away from her, Alex, in unison, yells, stay the fuck away from him. And she hauls ass across the room and basically charges Mac and knocks him to the floor. Not only that, she starts wailing on the guy, punch after punch to his face, until he's knocked out cold, and she keeps punching after he's knocked out. Gabe finally gets up and pulls her away, and without thinking, she turns and punches him square in the jaw. This snaps Alex out of it, and she immediately apologizes, and Gabe just says, it's fine. Mac finally comes to and stands up and calls Alex a psycho and tells both of them to go fuck themselves. So that's Mac, ladies and gentlemen. 
What a guy. Alex tries to apologize again and Gabe slams the door in her face. So great start to a new life, right? He then storms out past her, says he has to start a shift. This leaves Alex alone in the apartment to look around, unpack, and she's feeling pretty down. She finds a picture of her family, her parents, and she and Gabe from when they were little. And she remarks that her dad even looks like an asshole in the picture, but her mom looked really healthy. That's the extent we learned from their life before. As she's unpacking, she finds a guitar that Gabe was going to surprise her with and begins to play Creep by Radiohead. The voice actress has an amazing voice and it's really beautiful. And she ends it on the line, I don't belong here. And as she says it, she begins to choke up and you can tell she feels like she doesn't belong there. And it's kind of sad. It's heartbreaking, really. From here, you can head down to the bar where Ryan, Gabe, and Charlotte and Jed are all talking about the fight. And Ryan decides that Gabe needs to go get checked out, so he offers to take him. So they leave before Alex gets downstairs, and she gets to meet Charlotte. Charlotte's super sweet and warm, and she's only there for a moment, so you don't really get to have a big conversation with her before she heads back to the dispensary. It's then that Jed bemoans being shorthanded now. Here, you can volunteer to help out, which I did, and there's three tasks you must complete. One is to check on Ducky and Diane, who are sitting in a nearby booth. Second is to check on Steph, who happens to be towards the front of the bar. And the last is clear a table in the back where Mac is nursing his pride and his wounds. So the first step I took was going over to Ducky and Diane and checking on them. So Ducky is this kind of older, bullshitter-type dude, very eloquent in his speech, but kind of shabby in his looks. And he's sitting with Diane, who is a younger lady who looks like some kind of politician, but she's actually a geologist from D.C. working with Typhon. They both order, and Ducky requests his usual. Jed will know what that means. If you check auras at this point, you don't notice anything with Ducky, but you see that Diane's is blue. And it's here where Alex can hear her thoughts, and she mentions inwardly, hoping that this place feels like home soon. Alex also inwardly wishes the same. From here you tell Jed the order and make sure you remember it and Jed says that the usual Ducky orders is a special whiskey but he can't seem to find it behind the bar. He mentions that Ducky was upstairs with Gabe goofing off late into the night before so it may be up there. And here's a pro tip. Look at the wall of shame at the back of the bar for a clue and it'll tell you exactly where that bottle is. So you find it, come back down, hand it over, and then I suggest going to Steph next. She apologizes for not being more polite when they met and tells her how Gabe and she met and how he convinced her to actually stay in town. They play a little mini game where you have to guess the song that Steph picks on the jukebox with five questions or Alex has to drink a nasty shot. I lost. Because <laughs> it, it, it's not as easy as it sounds. Then it's to the back to clear off the table. And when you head back there, you check Mac's aura and it's purple, signifying he's afraid. Inwardly, he knows he's going to lose Riley if she finds out what happened. And he kind of mentions that in his thoughts. So as Alex finishes cleaning up the table, he comes to her with his tail between his legs, begging her not to tell Riley what happened. Normally, this would be a point where I would be like, this isn't my business, I'll butt out of it. But that's when he says... Gabe threw the first punch and all bets were off. So I told on him. 
Riley, man, I'm a real tattletale in this game. Riley breaks up with him and Max threatens Alex and says, this isn't over. So thus, Alex is done working and Gabe comes back and he's short with Alex but tells her to go upstairs on the roof now. When you get up there, he first gives her the silent treatment as she's talking to him and trying to apologize. Then the silence is broken. He hands her a beer and opens one up for himself. He asks her what the hell happened in her past to make her react like that. Now comes one of the most pivotal decisions in this chapter. She can either tell him the truth or make up some believable lie. I told him the truth, and he made some jokes about it but was overall supportive and seemed to believe her. They watch as the sun sets together, so it's the end to a perfect day. Right? Wrong. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. So Ryan comes running upstairs and says, Ethan is missing. Surprise, surprise. I knew that was going to be foreshadowing. He was supposed to be at home, but Charlotte called and he wasn't there. Thankfully, Alex tattled on him, based on my choice, so they both knew where Ethan went. The trio heads up the mountain where Gabe immediately calls Typhon to let them know that a little boy is trapped up there and to hold off the blast until they got him. He said they agreed to hold off and they would wait for his call. They look around an abandoned building where, at one time, silver was processed, kind of like a foundry, if you will, and they can't figure out how to get inside the building, but apparently Ethan has done so. Alex then has a realization that the comic setting looks exactly like the abandoned foundry that they're at. Alex guides the guys through the building and to the lookout where they realize Ethan is close to a ravine. They race to it and find Ethan on the opposite side, absolutely terrified. This is like the biggest purple aura I've seen yet in the game, and it's engulfing him. They're separated by a somewhat unstable log, and Ryan tries to go first because he's the wilderness-trained, rugged park ranger guy, but the log is not strong enough for him. It starts to crack a little bit when he starts to walk across it, so he comes back, and Alex volunteers to go across because she's lighter than him they tie a rope around gabe's waist so that he can feed the rope to alex as she goes who has a rope tied around her waist and thighs in case she does fall she begins to cross but once she gets closer to ethan his fear starts to affect her and she realizes if she doesn't calm him down she will freak out and lose control and there will be no helping him and she will also fall which i'm sure she doesn't want to do that either <laughs> There are various choices of what to say here to keep him calm, but the kind of vibe is nothing's going to work with this kid right now. Suddenly he blurts out, I can't let it see me. If it sees me, I'm dead. Alex doesn't really know what that means. And then she realizes if she wants to help him, she's going to have to let his fear take her over so she can see what he sees. There's a bit of investigating, you know, looking around, while she's kind of feeling what he's feeling and she's trying to look for clues as to what's got him so spooked and she looks down at the ravine and the ravine has this monstrous face with like these teeth and this grin and she realizes that he's afraid of the ravine and he's seeing a monster down there and then she kind of freaks out for a moment and gets really scared but then she calms herself and she knows exactly what she has to do so thinking back on their mutual love of the Ninth Ward comic, she tells him that she has a cloak of invisibility on, and as long as he holds her hand, he will be invisible too. 
So he finally relents and the two cross slowly. And when they're almost done, the log starts to shake and crack a little bit and they get to the other side. Once they're on the other side, everyone feels safe. Alex actually laughs kind of nervously because she did it and she was able to control her power for once. And then they're all happy and everybody's safe and they head home. Just kidding, that's not what happens. As always, we we don't do happy with coffin cast stuff. As everyone feels like they're safe and can relax a little bit, the supposedly canceled blast goes off. This sends debris everywhere, the ground shakes, Gabe is knocked down and over into the ravine. Now, remember, Alex is tied to Gabe, so as he goes over... She's still attached to him and she starts to slide because he's heavier than she is. So Ryan catches her and holds on for dear life. There is a rumble and you can hear that a rock slide is coming and it's aiming straight for Alex and Ryan. And he does the only thing he can think of and cuts the rope and pulls Alex and Ethan out of the way just as the rocks hit where they were just sitting. And Gabe is gone. He's over the edge. Ryan had to make a pretty bad decision there. Um... You know, and it was probably the right thing to save the most people involved, but Gabe's gone, and Alex can do nothing but scream and look over the edge, presumably where her brother lays below. And that is the end of the first chapter. So, thoughts on the first chapter? It ends in a sucker punch to the gut, but it leaves you on a cliffhanger so to speak, and leaves you wanting more. Or at least it did me. So overall, I think it's a fitting start to the third installment of the Life is Strange series. There's a lot of emotion, and you grow to like and care about the characters. And they seem more dimensional than most characters in most games, so I want to applaud them on the character development. It was really great. And the protagonist is just this typical girl. She's not, like, flashy. She's not a superhero. She's just this normal girl that happens to have superpowers, and she'd be like somebody you would see on the street. Um, And she's funny, and she's likable, and she's witty as hell, and her inner dialogue a lot of the times is something that'll make you laugh out loud, and something you may have thought in your own inner dialogue. But overall, like I said, she's as real as video game characters get. And like Alex, you begin to feel what she does, the anger, despair, but also a little bit of hope. And I'm definitely eager to play more, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Chapter 2. As far as the cons right now, I can't really think of any. There's a couple times where the mouth doesn't match the talk, but, you know, it's whatever. It's not something I personally care about. The story is so enthralling, and so far it's a definite thumbs up for me, and I definitely recommend it if you're interested. Could change next week, we don't know, but right now I say go ahead and get it, try it out, see if you like it. So join me next week for Chapter 2, Lanterns. You can follow me on Twitter at CoffinCast with a capital C, and if you have suggestions or whatever, just email me at CoffinCastPod at gmail.com. Please, if you can, give me a rating on Apple, Podchaser, or Good Pods, and I'll see you next week. Say something nice to someone today. They may need it. You might need it. It'll make you feel good. It'll make them feel good. Everybody will feel good. All right, see you next week.